0: This is Newsroom Robots, the podcast where we explore the intersection of artificial intelligence and the news industry. I'm Nikita Roy, data scientist, media entrepreneur, and one of the many founders currently building their ventures at the Harvard Innovation Labs. On the Newsroom Robots, I'm excited to bring you insightful conversations with industry experts about how AI is impacting the way we do journalism. Joining me today is Santiago Lyon, the Head of Advocacy and Education for the Adobe-led Content Authenticity Initiative, which is working to combat misinformation through digital content provenance. With over 35 years of experience in photography, Santiago has won multiple journalism awards for his coverage of conflicts around the globe as a photographer for Reuters and the Associated Press. During his tenure as AP's Director of Photography, the AP earned three Pulitzer Prizes for Photography along with multiple other photojournalism awards around the world. He's also been a Neiman Fellow in Journalism at Harvard University. In today's episode, we learn about the role of Adobe's Content Authenticity Initiative in fostering digital provenance and discuss the future of visuals in news media in the AI era. Santiago, welcome to Newsroom Robots.
2: Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: So, Santiago, I'm very excited today because you are actually our first guest on the show who has an extensive background in photojournalism. And now with your work at Adobe, working on digital provenance, I'm really excited to hear all about your thoughts on generative AI today. And I want to start off first on... Getting your thoughts on the current generative AI era that we are in, as you were someone who was an award-winning journalist for so many years, I'd love to start off the conversation by hearing your personal thoughts on AI-generative images. What's your take on it?
2: Well, it's a really remarkable new area of technology that is moving along at light speed. There seem to be changes every day in the generative AI space. And it's sort of alternatively exhilarating and terrifying at the same time because it's really empowering people all over the world who have access to technology to foment and enhance and, uh, you know, experiment with their creativity in a very basic way on the one hand, when we talk about generative AI, we're talking about using prompts, if you like, to either generate text or the work I'm doing right now is prompts around generating visuals. And so a simple prompt can all of a sudden generate an entirely synthetic or artificial image of whatever the user wants to play with, experiment with. And so in that sense, it's, it's exhilarating. It's sort of democratizing creativity in some ways. But it's also a little bit scary because the output of these machines is increasingly indistinguishable from quote-unquote real content. And so there are some concerns, especially in the world of photojournalism, where it's possible for bad actors to create images of events that never happened. And so the work that I'm doing at Adobe right now around the content authenticity initiative is really all about transparency and labeling content, whether it's generative AI content or any other kinds of content that are out there labeling it very clearly so that the viewer has a clear sense of what it is they're looking at. Where did it come from? How might it have been altered in the editing process? And then ultimately displaying some or all of that information to the viewer, to the reader, to help them navigate what's an increasingly confusing media landscape.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, Adobe had asked this question 30 years ago, how would we verify what we're seeing is true or not? And now the work that you're doing over with the Content Authenticity Initiative, I'd like to know more exactly in terms of how does it work and what features are people able to use to know what they're viewing is true or not?
2: So the Content Authenticity Initiative was started by Adobe in late 2019 in response to the problems of missing and disinformation and with an appetite or a view towards fomenting or increasing transparency in digital content. And from the very get-go, we wanted all of our work in this space to be open source, which is to say the underlying code is available for anybody and everybody to use, including Adobe's business competitors. And at the same time, it's being incorporated into flagship Adobe products. And so really what we're talking about is a fast-growing community of major media and technology companies and others who are coming together to implement the open standard around provenance or transparency so that people can understand exactly what it is they're looking at. And so the way this technology works is that we have focused in on uh, three main areas starting with uh, capture or creation and on that front we're working with hardware manufacturers that is to say camera and smartphone manufacturers to integrate this technology into their devices at production so that when an image is created or a video is recorded it's empirically provable that the file was created with that particular piece of hardware and in addition all of the metadata fields that most hardware devices nowadays generate, things like EXIF and XMP and IPTC, which contain a lot of very valuable information, but which are unfortunately not particularly secure. They're quite easy to hack into. One of the things that the CAI technology does from the get-go is it secures all of that information using cryptography. And so It sort of binds that provenance information or that information of source or origin to the digital file. And then the next area we look at is the area of editing. And so here we're busy incorporating this technology into editing programs, both Adobe and non-Adobe, given the open source nature of our work. And here, any changes that are made to the file, let's say in the case of a photograph, an image is cropped or toned or darkened or lightened or elements are added or subtracted, each one of those actions gets captured as a secure layer of metadata that then accompanies the file along its journey. So really what we're doing is creating a secure edit history around that particular file. The next stage of the journey is typically publishing. And so here we're working with publishers and CMS manufacturers who for the most part currently and routinely strip metadata off of files as it makes its way through their systems for a variety of reasons. What we're doing is working with CMS manufacturers and publishers to leave the metadata intact. And the reason that we're interested in leaving this metadata intact is because then it's possible to share some or all of it with the viewer so that they can get a better sense of what they're looking at. And so we call these layers of secure metadata content credentials, and they're visible at any point in a piece of content's journey to have this deeper understanding of where something came from, how it might have been altered, and then, like I said, sharing some or all of that information with the viewer to enhance this notion of transparency.
0: You brought up an interesting point about that publishers... Tend to strip out all of that metadata and the content credentials. And that's something that you're working on right now. And so I want to shift focus into knowing more about as newsrooms begin to use all of this. And since you work a lot with the different newsrooms, I'm sure you have insights on how we should be working today and what role would newsrooms have to play in ethically using generative AI? How can we contribute towards building trust with our audience and contributing towards building provenance?
2: Well, I mean, newsrooms are just sort of coming to terms with generative AI and having you know, detailed discussions about how best to use it and where it fits into the newsroom flow. I think it's fair to say that generally newsrooms are being very judicious and careful about how they integrate generative AI into their workflows. Because the last thing that they want is to either deliberately or inadvertently use generative AI and represent something that may never have happened or, you know, that isn't in line with the facts. So there are two things going on. The judicious use of generative AI in newsrooms, which is a nascent thing. And then the desire in newsrooms to have transparency around what is generative AI And what isn't? And that's where the technology that we're delivering is coming into play. Increasingly, we're seeing a desire in newsrooms to achieve this level of transparency using the tools that we're developing.
0: And how can newsrooms that are not currently part of the content authenticity initiative use these tools and become and learn more about this?
2: So the Content Authenticity Initiative is a large community of now over 1,500 members, including many of the major journalistic organizations, both on the agency side, just to say agencies whose main business is to license content to consumer-facing news organizations, and then consumer-facing news organizations themselves. And so joining the Content Authenticity Initiative is very simple it's a web form on our on our homepage contentauthenticity.org it's entirely free and once one is in the community then we're able to you know keep the community informed we have uh, community events on a regular basis we put out newsletters and we also offer some technical support on a very vibrant discord channel that we run for people who are looking at our tools that we've built and looking at the underlying open standard specification and all of those sorts of things.
0: And I also have to talk about, well, Photoshop coming up with a lot of different AI capabilities and a lot of new AI products coming from Adobe, the new generative AI capability. Anyone can really make Photoshop edits now with just putting in a prompt and having things changed automatically and having AI manipulated. So what... I'm really interested in is it's really cool for people who don't have that much Photoshop skills, but at the same time, it's really scary with the potential of misinformation and just frightening deep fakes that could be made with this tool. How is the CAI now helping with integrating all of this into the way Adobe tools are functioning? And what would the future look like with like misinformation being
2: produced at ease? So Adobe's foray into the generative AI space is through a product called Firefly. And in Firefly, from the get-go, we wanted to enable this level of transparency. So all of Firefly's output has content credentials on it that very clearly states that this particular piece of content was made by a computer as opposed to, you know, by a human or reflecting, quote-unquote, a real event. So we're getting that level of transparency from Firefly's output. And then in addition, in Photoshop with generative fill, if one activates the content credentials feature in Photoshop, it keeps a track of what tools within Photoshop were used if generative fill was used, if other tools were used. And so we're able very quickly to establish this edit history that would allow a viewer later to go back and say, oh, look, this is how this particular piece of content was created. So on the one hand, we're developing very sophisticated generative AI tools. And on the other hand, we're developing very sophisticated tools around transparency. And we certainly don't see those two things as being mutually exclusive. In other words, Adobe's mission is creativity for all, and at the same time, the CAI's mission is all around transparency. And we think in this day and age, actually, that those two things logically go together and help make the internet and digital content generally a safer experience.
0: And the content credentials, that's something that people have to go and opt into and have that metadata generated. Is that the way it would work for people who would upload images online now?
2: Yes. And so the way this is working is that the content credentials are generated, you know, when something is being created. And the next phase of the work is really critical, which is to get those content credentials in front of people. And to that end, we're working with publishers and CMS manufacturers to maintain that workflow so that eventually this notion of provenance will become so ubiquitous that it will be expected that every piece of content out there will have a little provenance icon next to it that the viewer can you know mouse over or click on and display or uncover some of the information or all of the information around where that particular piece of content came from. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that we think that over the next several years the notion of provenance and transparency will become something foundational to a great many things digital. So we're focused right now on the news media and generative AI, but we also have a lot of interest from a very wide variety of other sectors, things like uh, insurance or law enforcement or auditing or medical and scientific imagery or e-commerce or brand reputation. Because when you think about it, we take great leaps of faith every day with content that we see online and we make a lot of assumptions as to the veracity of something either through where it's housed or because, you know, we believe in a particular brand or whatever it is. But in the same way that, you know, secure internet transactions initially were sort of shaky and scary. You didn't know if you were online with your bank, for example, when you're doing a financial transaction. And then over time we got, you know, secure servers And now, you know, you have a little padlock uh, icon in the upper left of your browser that indicates you're on a secure connection with, uh, you know, whoever it is you're doing business with. We think that provenance and content credentials in particular are going to become ubiquitous and, like I said, something foundational for a great many things digital. And it will be precisely the content that doesn't have content credentials attached to it that will merit a, a closer look.
0: Yeah. And while Adobe is doing all of this work on provenance, it's also important to address the ethical issues surrounding creating AI-generated products. And I'm wondering if you could talk more about how Adobe is addressing all of those ethical issues of using generative AI in its products and having image being generated by AI.
2: So Adobe has been very careful in the generative AI space around the data training sets that we use for Firefly. And so we're only using data training sets that are made up of material that we either explicitly have permission to use or that has, you know, is out of copyright and is available for anybody to use. And so by doing that, we're necessarily creating a safe experience because the machines are trained on safe, ethically sourced data. And that's really important because, as you probably know, there's a fair amount of controversy out there around data training sets and, you know, there's lawsuits going on, etc. So, we're proud to say that the output that comes from Adobe Firefly is ethically sourced and is, you know, risk-free and we're able to offer those guarantees to our customers.
0: And with Adobe still producing all of these products, how do you see the role of illustrators, artists, designers evolving with AI-generated content? People can now also, just with a simple prompt, create all of these images. So how do you see the artwork being affected?
2: Well, I think there's a couple of things. First of all, the the sort of skill set is shifting, starting to hear people refer to synthographers as opposed to photographers. And for many people, the skill is in the prompt. In other words, how detailed can a prompt be and how does the detail in a prompt change the output? So you have the ability to specify whether you want to output an illustration or a photograph, or even more specifically, you can talk about certain lenses and focal lengths and shutter speeds and, uh, you know, color palettes and images in the style of a certain photographer or whatever it is. So the the whole prompt area is increasingly sophisticated. And then the other thing is that for some creatives, they're using generative AI as a sort of a co-pilot. In other words, let me put in a prompt. Let me see what the the tool gives me from that prompt and then maybe I take the output and I bring it into a a creative program like Photoshop and I enhance it or I finesse it. So I think it's really about shifting skill sets in the interests of creativity and for many creatives I think it's going to be a, a tremendous opportunity and it also I think is can be quite efficient in the sense that if you're able to generate something, whether it's a finished product or whether it's an idea or a concept, you're able to do that with really great ease. And then you can, you can take that and build whatever it is you want. A lot of creatives that we talk to are very excited about the notion of, of generative AI because it, it can, depending on how it's used, enhance your creativity, enhance your efficiency enhance the amount of content that you can generate, depending on what your needs are.
0: I'd love to get your personal take on the whole AI-generated images. Would they be considered artworks in their own right?
2: Wow, that's a really interesting question. And the Copyright Office in the United States is, you know, going on listening tours to try and determine what is the nature of copyright around generative AI. Is there sufficient human involvement to make it copyrightable? And this is such a new field and copyright laws, you know, were established many decades ago. So I imagine there's going to be quite a lot of legal back and forth and movement trying to determine the answers to those questions.
0: And... I kind of want to know more about the CAI, the Content Authenticity Initiative, now in the broader context of transparency and trust on the web. As we move out, you've spoken quite a bit on how you see that's going to be the future. Where are we right now? And how long do you see that process going to take for us to move into?
2: Well, I think that we need a way to establish trust online or reestablish trust online in some cases. And... It's a very complex issue, and I don't believe that there is a single turnkey or light switch solution to this. I think that the notion of provenance and transparency is very important, and the tools that are being built and that the Content Authenticity Initiative is busy building will become fundamental tools over time. But tools themselves, I don't think will solve some of these problems. In my mind, there are other pillars that are very important in the fight against mis- and disinformation. For example, media literacy and creating uh, robust curricular materials to help educate students around media literacy. And we just finished creating a bunch of those materials, which are available for free on, on one of our education websites, aimed at middle schoolers, high schoolers, and university students, to help guide them through this really confusing media landscape and help establish best practices and help teach young people to be exacting and skeptical and rigorous about the methodology that they apply to consuming content. So media literacy is fundamental. I would say also very important is the area of policy where increasingly lawmakers and policymakers around the world Are reacting to generative AI. You know, you have uh, proposals making their way through the European Parliament and the UK Parliament and other governments around the world about, you know, directionally mandating provenance around generative AI to help protect citizens and consumers. And so Adobe's government relations team is working very closely with a number of, you know, lawmakers, policymakers, legislative bodies around the world to make sure that. Those people are well-informed about what's possible technologically, what the status quo is, what's coming down the road. And so we think that's another important pillar. And then the last one I'll mention is around the area of detection and fact-checking. And while we don't think that detection technologies per se are a winning proposition in the sense that they're not particularly accurate, they're not scalable, they can be very useful on an ad hoc basis especially when combined with journalistic fact-checking. And so there is a value to that aspect of things, although we're not focused in on that at the Content Authenticity Initiative. So when we look at that landscape, we're really talking about four pillars, fact-checking and detection, policy, media literacy, and transparency and provenance. And we're actively involved in three of the four. And so we think that the combination of those pillars, you know, moving together forward is going to really be a very valuable front in the fight against misinformation and help make the Internet a safer place for everybody.
0: How do you see the news industry as well taking a step towards digital media literacy and informing citizens and their audience more about what they're seeing? How should we be communicating all of that information to them? What's your take on that?
2: Well, I think media literacy has sort of two components, broadly speaking, the classroom component, where teachers can interact with their students and, you know, incorporate this into the the teachings that they offer in their, in their institutions. But then there's also another aspect of it, which is consumer media literacy. So if you could imagine a world in the not-too-distant future, when content credentials begin to appear on a news app or on a news website, it's going to behoove the publishers of that website or that app to educate their consumers as to what they're looking at. So I can imagine a scenario where a publisher says, dear reader, you will have noticed that as of such and such a date, there's a little content credentials icon, you know, adjacent to or next to pictures or video. Here's what it is. Here's how to interact with it. Here's what it means. And really what that does is it helps bolster the existing trust models between consumers and media organizations, because at the heart of all journalism is trust, whether it's the trust between consumers and media outlets, whether it's the trust between the journalists and the people that they're interviewing or eliciting information from, trust is at the heart of it all. So this is another layer of trust that really benefits publishers because they're able to say with confidence, what we are publishing has very visible trust signals attached to it that offer guarantees above and beyond what you might currently be getting in the trust area from that particular publisher. So in some ways, it's codifying existing things. In other words, when the New York Times publishes a piece of content, the fact that the New York Times publishes it It's because a whole series of editors and sub-editors have have vetted that content, have done their checks and balances, and it goes out with the New York Times' name on it, and that is, in and of itself, a label of trust. What we're saying is that these content credentials bolster or buttress that label of trust with some empirical evidence that proves the things that are provable around the provenance and the transparency associated with that particular piece of content.
0: And I'd love to hear more about building trust is such an important issue for newsrooms. And so being a part of the Content Authenticity Initiative, what's the future looking like? What could we expect more from the work that you're doing?
2: Well, we're working hard towards uh, adoption. In other words, we've got these tools in some Adobe products. It's in, they're in Photoshop now. They're in Lightroom as a beta. We anticipate them to be in other products. They're on, you know, stock photography All of Adobe stock photography, when it's downloaded, has content credentials attached to it. Uh, Behance, which is a very large community of creatives. It's a sort of a showroom for creatives to show and and license their work. Some of that content has content credentials on it. So on the Adobe side, you know, we're moving quite rapidly to integrate content credentials into into our products. Firefly or Generative AI Space, as I mentioned before, is another one. Now what we're looking towards while we're doing all that work is looking towards implementation by media publishers. And so we're working with a cohort of media publishers towards the goal of implementation. In other words, the media content workflow is typically, you know, in the area of photography, for example, photographer in the field makes some pictures, processes the pictures, edits them, sends them into their media outlet. They get published. And so there we have an opportunity to intersect at every point in that workflow, starting with the hardware manufacturers, you know, we're in advanced conversations and there is work being done by these hardware manufacturers. In fact, at the end of last year, Leica and Nikon, two major camera manufacturers came out with some prototype secure capture devices that demonstrated that it was possible to get this provenance data from source at a hardware device and attach it to the files that those devices generated. So those companies and other companies are working towards production, secure capture devices. And then, you know, with the publishers themselves, we're looking at the differing, you know, technological aspects of that. With a view towards in the not too distant future, seeing this out there live through the interface of content credentials icons next to published content, which will then allow the viewer or the reader to interact with the content and have those guarantees that that particular image or that particular video clip actually did come from the source that is, you know, claims to have come from.
0: This has been a valuable conversation to learn more about what you're doing. And to wrap things up, I kind of want to get a final insights from your years of experience working in the newsroom and now in the other side in the AI space. What's your take on what the future will look like using all of these generative AI tools for photos, illustrations and visuals on news media?
2: Well, I mean, at the core of all photojournalism is this notion of veracity, this notion of, you know, you're looking at an image of a real event, and it was captured by a trusted photojournalist and was published by a trusted and respected media outlet. So those are very basic principles that I don't think will go away. I think they're fundamental to the notion of truth in journalism and by extension trust in journalism. What I do see happening is the use of generative AI, perhaps to illustrate things that are really hard to photograph or video. And so currently, how are those things illustrated? Illustrations, data visualization, using maps, using data points, all of those things are currently being done, you know, in many newsrooms to help illustrate things that are Difficult to illustrate sort of abstract concepts of financial information or things of that nature. And so I can see generative AI being used to enhance the visualization of certain aspects of storytelling and perhaps in, a, in an exciting way. But I think it's really important to be able to distinguish between what is an image of an actual event, something that actually happened in the physical world And what is an image generated by a computer in response to data inputs or prompts? And as long as those two areas are clearly identified and not conflated, and there's no confusion there, then I can see generative AI being quite an exciting tool for newsrooms when used judiciously, when used with those sort of guidelines or rules in place. And, you know, having been in the news industry myself for almost 40 years, In a variety of roles, I know that the people who run newsrooms, the editors, the executive editors, the writers, the photographers, the videographers, they all have a very, very deep commitment to the truth and to veracity. And they're in journalism because they want to reflect that truth and veracity and help people interpret it. And so I don't see a scenario where, you know, those borders are going to get blurred or there's going to be confusion. And I think what's going to help maintaining those two areas separate from one another are precisely the kinds of tools that we're developing around transparency. So that if you have a doubt or if you just want to double check or if you're not sure, you can click on something and it'll tell you where did this come from? How was it altered? who made it, when, and all these various data points that will help give you confidence in the nature of what it is you're looking at.
0: Thank you so much. This has been such an interesting conversation, getting your perspectives on really how the future would look like with us building trust and how we can use the tools that you're working on. And thank you so much for coming on the Newsroom Robots. This has been such an insightful conversation.
2: My pleasure. Great to talk with you, Nikita, and uh, I look forward to staying in touch.
0: Was Santiago Lyon, the head of advocacy and education for Adobe's Content Authenticity Initiative. This podcast is made possible thanks to the Harvard Innovation Labs Spark Grant. I'm Nikita Roy, and this is News
2: from Robots.